The Creative Mornings Charlotte podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Creative Morning Charlotte podcast. Today's show features host Tim Miner and Matt Olin speaking with Charlotte artist Milan Din just two weeks following the April 5th Creative Morning Charlotte event where Milan spoke about the global theme of inclusive. Milan Din is a multidisciplinary artist who creates thought-provoking installations, paintings, and objects in mixed media. A former Vietnamese refugee who settled in North Carolina after fleeing Saigon with her family in 1975, Din challenges institutionalized ideas in her work while sharing her perspective on the social environment. Although raised in the West, her Southeast Asian roots have been a source of reference and inspiration in her work. In this episode of the Creative Morning Charlotte podcast, Milan talks about when she started using art as a means to carry a message, the state of immigration today in America, and why she chose the phrase, wasn't that great, close out her Creative Morning Charlotte talk. Also on the microphone is Milan's partner, artist Till Schmidt-Rimpler. Register for the next Creative Morning Charlotte event, Friday, May 3rd at 8.30 a.m. at Romar Bearden Park in Uptown Charlotte. The featured speaker will be plastinization scientist Jamie Decker speaking about the global theme of Preserve. RSVPs will open at 9 a.m. Monday, April 29th. Milan and Till, oh my gosh, we're sitting here in your backyard. This is such a treat. Thank you for having us over. You're welcome. So we're at we're at the cabin, and we're going to get into the Creative Mornings talk in a little while and the upcoming show at Elder Gallery, but let's talk about the setting first. We're, we're here at the cabin. Is that, what, what, is that sort of the shorthand that you guys call it, the cabin as well? The Poets', poets cabin. cabin. The Poets' Cabin, okay. Okay. Um, I don't know nearly enough about about this beautiful, magical place, but I do know that it holds a special place in the sort of creative landscape of Charlotte. So tell us a little bit about um, this very, very special home of yours and maybe a little bit about, um, I don't know, its place in, the, in Charlotte's creative history. Uh, do you want me to talk about it? <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Okay, so the, the cabin was built in 1935. The previous owners, um, Nancy and David Howell, raised like eight children in this house. And it's one of the last hand-hewn log cabins in the region. Mm-hmm. Um, th- and it's, it's on an incredible piece of property that is just nature-filled and an oasis, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, the history of the cabin... Um, is full of creative and cultural history. Nancy was um, a contra dancer, and she used to have these uh, contra dance, uh, Charlotte Folk Society uh, events here, where Mm -hmm. people would come, move all the furniture out of the living room, and and they would put the musicians up in the loft, Mm -hmm. and they would just dance and dance and just have a great time. Um, We've met so many people who have said to us, we fell in love in your cabin. You know, they've come to an event here. Um, Also, Charlotte Repertory Theater uh, was born in the living room 
cabin mm. where uh, David Howell was one of the founding board members. Um, yeah, so uh, Nancy and David were entrenched in the cultural landscape of Charlotte in the kind of old Charlotte um, society and uh, everything from symphony to theater to opera. We still get her mail (laughs) 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 that, you know, invites her to all kinds of events. Um, So, yeah. Do you want to add anything to it as far as the, the history of it? No, I think it's pretty complete. It's been always a, a place for exchange, an open house where everybody was invited. A lot of people have grown up here, even though <laughs> that was not the original house of family. But uh, since the house were very um, friendly and had big open arms, I guess it was um, together with their eight children and uh, probably dozens of friends, <laughs> always very crowded here. Yeah. And... Uh, yeah, and so that that I had a big heart for keeping things open, but also engaged into dialogue next to the um, the dance parts, of course, uh, the contra dance. The um, they also held a lot of readings here and uh, discussions on yeah. important societal matters, etc. So. Yeah. Well, the energy here is still clearly uh, welcoming. Um, it's one of love and and creativity, and you just feel it when you walk in. Um, and of course, you all continue the tradition of creation, of artistic creation here in this place as well. I wish folks watching or listening to the podcast could see the podcast, right? Because we're in the backyard on a beautiful, beautiful April day, and it's just incredible. How long have you you lived here? How did the how did the cabin uh, fall into our fall hands. to you? Yeah, well, we're fortunate. Um, Nancy Howell was one of our board members of Moving Poets, and um, so we had been out here many times before uh, for board meetings and etc. and um, she got older, and uh, we asked her if if there was any opportunity, if she thought if she would sell the house or um, we would love to be considered to be the next kind of generation of of um, stewards of the house. And um, she spoke to her children, and her children loved the idea. So, yeah, we uh, took it over about four years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, the house was kind of in disarray at the time. You couldn't see it from the driveway. Nature mm-hmm. had taken over, <laughs> as nature Mother does. Mother Nature does that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's been a, um, a labor of love. And uh, since then, we've had lots of creative... Um, uh, encounters here and events. We have these uh, events called Cabin Fever, where it's a, a invitation, by invitation gathering salon, if you will, of um, really nice folks celebrating the arts. So we've had like opera in the house, we've had exhibitions, we've had chamber music, uh, tango, poetry readings. Yeah. Experimental music and <laughs> art. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. incredible. I, you know, I think we have, we know two uh, practitioners of opera who would, I think, be able to really make some noise. Blow the roof off the cabin. The XM Divas. Would be very fun. At we laid some party. basic connection with them already. Yeah. yeah. There we go. See, Till's already ahead of us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, I so, think that's amazing. So let's, let's dive in a little bit to, um, to talk a little bit about the, the wonderful. 
talk that you gave at Creative Mornings Milan uh, a week ago, um, and and much of it was hinged on the upcoming show at Elder Gallery, and so I want to start there. Um, tell us a bit more, and actually, of course, Till, you're a part of, of this exhibition as well, the, the entire show, so, so this question is directed to both of you. Tell us about um, We See Heaven Upside Down, Migration 4. We know it's running May 3rd through June 15th at Elder Gallery, but what do you think people should know before they see it for themselves? Um, I, I would say that they have, it would be great if they came curious. Mm. Um, that's always something that we as moving poets have always um, suggested to folks to come without any um, pre-existing uh, expectations, except that um, come curious and with an open mind. Um, it's very timely because of all the things that are going on now with migration and immigration challenges and um, I, the way our, our country is um, separated according to what side of the aisle you're on. Um, but the way we see it is also uh, an international challenge, and that's where it started. Actually, we started the project in Berlin, and... Um, we see heaven upside down is basically a multidisciplinary arts project that addresses the contemporary challenges of migration, displacement, identity, and home. Um, and it started off when we were in Berlin during the refugee crisis, uh, Syrians coming. And uh, from there, we decided to uh, include a lot of different artists, artists kind of knew other artists that were addressing these issues, and it just kind of blossomed into um, a project that uh, keeps on evolving. Um, but I think at the essence of it, it is really about how we share space with each other, um, common space. Yeah. yeah. And recognizing each other as human beings, I think, is a very important part of it so that we get away from the numbers, um, but ha actually conversations uh, with the faces or realizing the faces that are behind the numbers. And uh, I think it's the only way anyways to um, start building a more educated um, understanding of <coughs> what is happening and how it could be resolved, and particularly also on the basis that we um, feel empathy for others. You know, I think without empathy, you know, we're not going to have any kind of society lasting for very long. Yeah. Mm. And, and I think what we've realized is also the resilience of, of people. I mean, the spirit, the human spirit is incredible when we talk to different folks and what have they've gone through and how long they've even, just like the physical, like how many countries they've walked through in order to get to mm -hmm. where they are. Um, and looking at that and trying to uh, share their story um, and then also looking at how uh, we can um, help people understand through different perspectives. For example, uh, it's not just about immigrants or refugees, but also uh, folks who are internally displaced, um, like Native Americans. Uh, and their story, or mm -hmm. also uh, one of our artists, um, Michelle Gregory, is 
born and bred in West Charlotte, and her artwork addresses um, gentrification and affordable housing. Mm -hmm. And so it, it is coming from different perspectives, certainly. Well, I, I love the way that uh, this sort of conversation and meditation of, of humanity and coming together really sort of comes to life in so many ways with this with this show, um, not just in the collection of visual artists that you have assembled, but also in the way, for example, uh, Till, that you and Tom at Creative Mornings collaborated with that Syrian mm -hmm. musician. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there's obviously some geographic distance there because he, he can't travel exactly. to the a, U.S. He's not allowed in the country. He's not allowed in the country. He's allowed to perform with the Berlin Philharmonics and at the biggest jazz festivals in Europe and uh, receives the Grand Jury Award uh, for music he has written for the Cannes Film Festivals, but he's not allowed in the yeah. United States. Yeah, <laughs> and so tragic as that is, in, it was also quite powerful that you, you and Tom were able to allow us to almost feel his presence in the room through his artistry and through your collaboration with him. And so I just love the way that the um, sort of themes of the show are truly threaded into the, um, in, into the, I guess, into the collaboration that's built into, into the, this multidisciplinary mm -hmm. disciplinary show as well. Well, I think it's especially also with this, uh, this time around, we, uh, we're putting a bit of a focus how we um, enrich each other also. You know, how do we right. actually all benefit um, from an exchange and from different cultures and... Uh, like uh, with Milad um, Kawams, um, the Syrian musician composer, we'll be taking uh, inspiration from music he he has been writing, and then drives it forward. So it's almost like a tennis match. Sure. You know? And that's what we're also doing um, with a bigger concert where we have musicians with uh, Todd Clauser and Elaf Electro, musicians from uh, Mexico and Argentina, and. Um, Several musicians here from Charlotte, um, with Tanya Beckler and uh, Bob Tixera. But everybody has a different story, story comes from a different cultural background, um, either first generation or second generation, and um, very different musicians, actually. Um, but everybody comes together to uh, um, have a conversation uh, in response to, uh, actually, the um, overall theme of We See Heaven Upside Down, but also to artwork that was created. So mm -hmm. there are several um, pieces of music that have been written in direct response, also inspired by artwork or by the documentary film that is um, part of it as well. Beautiful. Yeah. It's May 16th at uh, Elder, yeah. the, the concert performance. Oh, the, uh, the concert performance is mm -hmm. May 16th. Okay, mm -hmm. cool. cool. Yeah. Um, well, moving on, I've got, a, I've got a question for you. And this, this was written for Milan, but I think both of you can, should jump in on this. Um, it's at what at what age did you begin to use your your art and your creativity to ex interpret and explore your experiences in the United States? And then moving on from that, what are some of the more memorable experiences you have at the beginning of your career and work on on how you creating something and then that releasing that into the world um, shaped you and the people that experienced it? I don't think I did any uh, socially engaged artwork defined as that. Probably, uh, probably since the last started, maybe in the last five six years. Um, not consciously, right? Um, but I think my artwork has always been uh, related to 
uh, growing up with these like two parallel uh, cultural universes of you know uh, my parents being very very traditional, and then growing up you know Vietnamese and eating Vietnamese food and speaking Vietnamese and and then uh, the experiences of of um, knowing that you're different but also knowing like I always felt Vietnamese and American at the same time, and um, uh, and then that was kind of always in my artwork of having that Asian influence and um, but having that real social engagement probably not you know, about five or six years ago um, but I, I I do remember um, when when I was really really little when we first came to the states and um, terrified to be separated from my mom and they had to when we just resettled and they had to go to work and um, so she she took me to the daycare and I was like hanging on to her leg you know like Dear God, don't let me you know, be separated from my mom. And they showed me the art room, and I was like, "Bye." <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Hooked. So I was hooked from a very early age. You found your natural <laughs> habitat, right? That's that's wonderful. And the work that you are doing now—I mean, there are pieces of yours that just whack me upside the head. I mean the. The, the, the flag piece made of the life preservers is such a powerful piece, especially when, when people know your story. Yeah. Um, the, the series of boxing gloves with the eggshells on them is just such, the, the, the message underneath all of that, it's just, they're just beautiful and powerful pieces to behold. So thank God you found that room back then because, <laughs> you know, the journey began. So I, I have a follow-up question. It's not written down, so Matt's going to freak out oh uh, no not freak going out. rogue i am i'm gonna go off this is not a this is not a squirrel i promise you andy <laughs> but uh, you know what's what strikes me is um what how does it feel both of you to be to be perceived as as immigrants but in a in a nation that is made of of, of immigrants you know it's it, it's amazing to me that so many people one generation deep forget that they're their parents or their grandparents mm-hmm. came from somewhere that's not here, mm-hmm. but and yet they're from here and you're you're mm-hmm. not. How does how does that how does that filter through your your experience on a on a daily basis? Even I never thought it was a bad thing to be an immigrant. It's not, um, and it's not. But I would have to say that. Here I go, getting political again. We um, gave you a microphone. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> Not until this administration, I have felt actually unwanted. Mm-hmm. That I, for some reason, don't belong here, and I don't deserve to be here. And um, I've never felt that way before. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it definitely speaks every time I hear someone kind of speaking about that. I think... Uh, on the space issue, they've they've never been out west, so they've they've never been to say Idaho. Uh, there's plenty of space there, uh, you know, all over the United States. But they, but more importantly, that it's somebody that doesn't hasn't read or has already forgotten a lot about the history of the United States and how how we were formed and how the great the great waves were how how the country was built and mm-hmm. how we moved uh, across the you know from some from sea to shining sea. Um, and it, also just remembering their own history, right? Um, and that's one thing. It's 
your grandfather, grandmother um, did come from somewhere. And is it a question of you <laughs> the color of your skin? Is that really what we want to address? Um, is that, I mean, you can use immigration as a... Um, as an excuse, but are we talking about also just racism? You know, right. who gets to be here, and mm. what um, what is the color of their skin? Oh. I mean, you know, if we want to be blunt about it. Mm-hmm. Well, I, get, I think in the and the belief that for for every person that moves here, regardless of where they come from, somehow I'm diminished in some way, or that's an opportunity I'm not going to get, or a dollar I'm not going to make. Or an award I'm not going to win. I think yeah. um, well, we're, we're focusing on, or people often focus on uh, just the wrong narrative, yeah. not about building up who we are as a, as a country and a nation. Yeah, and also, I mean, there's so much more opportunity also coming. I mean, people start businesses and start employing yeah. people. They uh, develop things, have new ideas, and that's... Uh, by and large, you know, we get more. I will strongly believe we get a lot more out of it than than we are paying in here. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just as always t- take some patience and um, and the willingness to just also uh, look at things, uh, stepping back from ideology. Mm-hmm. You know, and that yeah. goes for everybody. <laughs> yes, yeah, it I does. think the, the 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 other thing is like um, when we talk about contributions of immigrants, um, we often, you know put a spotlight on folks who have been like super people, right? Um, and one of the things that that I do want people to realize is that part of uh, contribution is just being part of the community. Like you don't have to be a super immigrant to deserve to be here, mm. right? Yeah, exactly. Um, um, and why are those expectations on folks coming here as opposed to if you were born here and you know just had a you know day-to-day job and and made an impact in your own family or in community but you're not like the super rock star person who mm. is changing like the world in vast steps and that's an important conversation not only for for immigration but but for people that were born in the United States mm-hmm. and this notion of it's the nature nurture you know argument and if I'm so I come in today and I've I do X kind of work, that's saying that that's all, you know, that I can't adjust to opportunity, mm-hmm. you know, that, that it's, it's not, um, it's not taking into account that if, if we can allocate resources and we can make sure that, that people have the framework they need, they can, they can rise to the opportunities and the occasions that are presented to them. And that's not just whether you got here five minutes ago, that could be where that you grew up in the wrong zip code right. in your own town. And if, if that's what it is, that at X point, you know, after two years, that's your lot in life, we have a real problem. We've got mm. to think well beyond that. Mm. Yeah, and I think one of the major um, issues behind everything is, again, that the lack of getting to know each other, the lack of actually understanding. Is, um, I'm sure it's the same in the United States, but in Germany, for example, uh, people are the most afraid of immigrants in areas where there are none. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's like, we you know, right. in cities like Berlin, where there's like, uh, you know, a huge percentage of um, um, people coming from different cultures. 
everybody's really relaxed, mm -hmm. you know, there's these rumors being spread, it's like in cities like Berlin, there's these no-go zones that have been taken over by immigrants, it's crime and violence ridden, and it's complete urban myth, mm -hmm. you know, it's mm -hmm. nonsense. Now, are, there, are there problems? Of course, are there, there are always problems, you know, yeah. there are problems the moment you have humans uh, with each other, there's not only always great stuff, but there will also be some issues. Right. Well, you know, Milan, uh, speaking of how short-term our memory is as a nation, you know, toward the end of your talk, you had asked the audience to say with you, uh, sort of in a call and response sort of way, ain't that great. Was that the line? That wasn't that great. Wasn't that great. Mm -hmm. Wasn't that great. Yeah, you're right. A week, a week, you lose a lot in a week here. You and I are getting old. Wasn't that great. Uh, in response to you sharing difficult facts and events uh, from American history, I'm curious... How does an audience participating in an exchange like that impact you and them? Um, and, and why was that sort of audible participation uh, from the audience important to you? Hmm. Um, I think part of it was uh, I didn't. I was. I didn't want to preach hmm. to um, the audience. Um, the idea of uh, having audience respond, but not really knowing what they were responding to, actually, at the beginning, because I was, you know, say this, and they kind of trusted me, right? And I was like, well, yes, historical highlights. And <laughs> they didn't know really what these highlights were. Um, so I think it was about sharing some um, history, uh, uh, and it, it wasn't that long ago either, mm. you know, some of these um, um, highlights. Um, and having audience respond to it so they could actually hear it and and then kind of think about it afterwards. Mm. Um, what I noticed was towards the end, there were less, wasn't that great. Like mm -hmm. they like caught on to me realizing, no, it wasn't. <laughs> uh, no, that wasn't yeah. that great. I, I think it was just that the participation was uh, important to me. I, I don't know really why, yeah. uh, but I, I just wanted to pull them in. There is certainly something experiential about that where, you know, uh, the irony of having them say that after each of those atrocities, yeah. um, it's, it's hard to say that afterwards yeah. and so you end up feeling it it's sort of like try this on for size folks yeah. and mm -hmm. ooh, doesn't doesn't that feel great no not so great so um i thought it was a really brilliant maneuver uh especially as you sort of were reaching the end of your talk to sort of leave them with that resonant that resonating uh, feeling you know well milan and till thank you so much for having us over uh to your home to the poet's cabin and for sharing of yourselves and your work and your and your genius uh, at Creative Mornings and and just with the Charlotte community, um, and all over the world. I mean, given uh, your footprint, your creative footprint is a very very wide one. Um, I see you both as as creative uh, legends here in, in Charlotte, real pillars of of the community here. And so thank you for all that you're sharing and doing here. Uh, and we invite all of the listeners of the podcast to please watch the video. These are meant to be companion pieces. So if you, if you weren't at Creative Mornings uh, that morning, uh, definitely watch the video before or after you listen to this podcast, whatever is your choice. But uh, they are meant to, to be consumed uh, 
together. And we always like to end with this question, so I'm going to pose it to both of you, um, which is, what advice do you have for Charlotte? And you can say anything you want about whatever you want, but what advice do you have for one of your homes in the world, which is be kind, the Queen City? have fun, be honest. Be kind, have fun, and be honest. I can get down with that, Till. Yeah. Definitely. Um, venture into an area of Charlotte that you've never been. And just, you know, get out of your car, walk around, and talk to people. Yeah. Uh, connect. Yeah. Connect. Get to know them. Yeah. I love it. I'm down. It's actually a beautiful day to do that. So I think we'll we'll break down the equipment and... Head into a new, some some new territory. The only thing I have in response to those two pieces of advice is, Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Maybe we should start here with the Pope's Church. Here. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. That would be fun. <laughs> Thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank you. And good luck with the show at Elder Gallery. Cannot wait to 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 see it. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks again to Milan Din for speaking with us and thank you, the listener, for tuning in to the Creative Morning Charlotte podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CM underscore CLT. And hey, when you're done listening to this episode, give us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. It helps us get discovered by other creative Charlotteans. And if you haven't already, subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find podcasts. Don't forget to register for the next Creative Morning Charlotte event, Friday, May 3rd at 8.30 a.m. at Romar Bearden Park in Uptown. The featured speaker will be plastinization scientist Jamie Decker speaking about the global theme of Preserve. RSVPs will open at 9 a.m. Monday, April 29th. The Creative Morning Charlotte podcast is hosted by Tim Miner and Matt Olin and produced by Andy Goh. Music by Harvey Cummings. <laughs>